listening to last this week. This is part two, Origins of Religion, um, Billy Carson. But, uh, you know, an hour is a very short period of time. I mean, some of these topics you can talk about for 15, 20, 30 hours, obviously, because there's yeah. so much information and so much content and so many questions. And so it's, it's something that can last for a long time. Last week, we talked about uh, religion, the origins of religion, and I touched on a lot of different topics and some theories as well. I talked about the cargo cults. So if you haven't seen that video, you need to go back and watch it. I talked about the cargo cults, <clears throat> how when a more advanced civilization meets a less advanced civilization, the lesser advanced civilization deifies that more advanced civilization automatically. They just they just automatically assume that they're gods. Right? That's, that's kind of how it really works. Because of the um, And it's been like that for millennia, for eons. It's not nothing, not, it's nothing new. It's typically what happens in any society, <clears throat> and I mean any society, during any era. If you look back at history, you'll find that this has happened literally dozens and dozens of times. And even in this era that we are in now, you would think that, oh, we're so technologically advanced and we've got all this knowledge and wisdom and blah, 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 and we wouldn't be fooled. But there are people on this planet, you got to remember, 85% of the world is very religious. And so there's people on this planet that would still fall for it if another advanced civilization came and visited us today, right now. They would automatically deify them, or let's say one person only showed up, right? That person would be deified instantaneously because it would appear that they had superpowers when in actuality it was probably metaphysical technology. In other words, a combination of spiritual and, uh, and actual tech that you can combine together. And we are now experimenting with those same exact technologies in laboratories all around the world, okay? So today, we're, we, last week we talked about some of the, um, you know, you heard me talk about the Enuma Elish, you heard me talk about the Atra Hasis many times, you, talk, you heard me say the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita in some of these texts, um, you know, but let me, let me show you what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> First of all, if I'm talking about something, that means I actually have it, that means I've actually gone through and read it, right? I'm not one of these people that has all this information to talk off the top of the head without actually being able to back it up. <clears throat> so let's look at, okay, we have here, what's this? The Enuma Elish. This is the Enuma Elish. This is the, this is the seven tablets of creation right here. Now, obviously, it's written originally in Sumerian cuneiform. And now it's been converted into many different languages and you can actually get this and you can actually read it for yourself so you don't have to rely on he say she say you don't have to rely on a youtube video you could actually go and read it for yourself and get your own discernment out of it right <clears throat> i remember when i first came over across the enuma elish i was studying cuneiform you know the ability to read sumerian tablets it's all in here these are my books this is just one of four cuneiform books that i actually have I'm actually going to do a video where I take some wet clay and a stylus, which is what they call the thing that you use to actually press into the clay. And I'm going to write some words into wet clay. Not today. I'll do that probably on the next one. And I'll show you how to write in cuneiform. Okay. No, Zachariah Sitchin isn't the only person that knew about cuneiform. Okay. There's literally thousands of people that known about it. And 
Uh, and many people before Zachariah Sitchin was even born had already translated the tablets. Zachariah Sitchin is a great man. He didn't translate any tablets. That's a big lie that was going on to make him look like he was hoarding some kind of secret information. No, he wasn't hoarding any secret information. The guy took existing translations and wrote books about him. And he was brilliant for doing that because he gave us a glimpse or an idea into what might have happened in the ancient past. And he sparked a lot of researchers, and I'm one of them as well. But anybody can learn cuneiform. It's not some kind of hidden thing that you can't learn, and you've got to be some kind of uh, incredible scholar. It just takes application of time and will and patience. Okay? You heard me mention the Atrahasis. Here's the ep epic of Atrahasis, or the Atrahasis. And the Atrahasis epic, uh, I should say, depending on how you want to say it, sometimes it's epic first and then Atrahasis or, or, or reversed. But again, this tablet is extremely similar to this tablet, both in cuneiform and both written in two different eras, but still thousands and thousands of years ago. I mean, thousands. As a matter of fact, both of these texts right here, which make up the majority of the Old Testament, were written. Um, these are copied. In other words, the stones were copied. Stones were copied again, and the stones were copied again, and the stones were copied again. These potentially, these stories potentially go back maybe even 40, 50,000 years. And what the uh, what people would do is they would take a tablet and they would copy it onto a new stone and a new stone and a new stone to keep to make you know like you like you're creating a, a published book. They would make copies. Okay, and sometimes in future copies, some texts would get edited and changed. Some pieces that were missing would leave it up to the copiers, uh, um, I guess, their understanding or the way that they perceive what the text, the missing pieces are. Because as you can see, there's always little tiny pieces that chip away, right? <laughs> Pretty interesting stuff. So, um, but it's interesting that the majority of the copies, and we know there have been uh are extremely similar. It's not, they're not that far off, right? Some of the missing areas are left up to interpretation uh, of the different people that have made the copies. That's actually kind of normal with the human race. That's kind of what always happens with information, right? Um, you've heard me mention the Bhagavad Gita. There it goes, right? Bhagavad Gita. And so, Bhagavad Gita is very interesting because it also is, some of this is actually in the uh, the book of Deuteronomy, right? The book of Deuteronomy, some of this information from the Bhagavad Gita made it into there. Again, some more Old Testament uh, stuff. Um, then we have the Tibetan Book of the Dead, right? The Tibetan Book of the Dead. You probably didn't even know this book existed. This is a super ancient text, and a lot of this has made it into... Uh, into the Old Testament. Um, this is incredible stuff right here. It's a great, great book. You gotta check it out. This one here, man, I had to go through this, you know, a few times. The Tibetan Book of the Dead. I also have another book here which I didn't get a chance to bring over to this, uh, my desk tonight, but it's the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And it's actually the Egyptian Book of Going Forth by Day, which is the real name of the text. <clears throat> and in my version, I have the Papyrus of Ani. And a lot of that information, including the information that made it into the um, uh, into Moses's uh, tablets, which were the first airdrop tablets, <laughs> right? <laughs> they came from the cloud. 
those uh, Ten Commandments, they actually come from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And a lot of other texts in there, as well as a lot of Proverbs came from that book as well. But I have that in my other room. I don't want to walk away from the camera right now. Um, and then we have the Code of Hammurabi. Okay, the Code of Hammurabi. More Babylonian texts that make up some parts of the Old Testament as well. Okay, the Code of Hammurabi. I'm showing you these things because it's not, I don't want you guys listening to what I got to say and going, man, you know, this guy knows everything. We should just listen to him and don't do any research. No. I'm showing you these for you for a reason, so you can do some uh, some of your own research. Here goes another book, Learn to Read Ancient Sumerian. Okay, this is actually my favorite one here. This really breaks it down in an easy way, and you can actually duplicate this pretty easily right off the bat and start learning how to read Sumerian and cuneiform tablets on your own, right? It just takes application, time, and patience. Okay, application, time, and patience. <clears throat> So you don't have to rely on other people's translations. You can come up with your own concept, your own idea of what the information is saying, right? <clears throat> All right. You know, I've taught in the Egyptian mystery schools, and I taught hieroglyphs, Egyptian hieroglyphs. And here goes uh, one of the simplest books to start with for how to read, how to learn how to read Egyptian hieroglyphs, the language of light, right? That's what hieroglyphs are. The Egyptian hieroglyphs are literally the language of light. Want to definitely get into that. <clears throat> and you've heard me talk about the Mahabharata a lot. Well, here it goes, guys. Here's the Mahabharata, the 10 volume set. Okay, 10 volume set. And the information in here is absolutely incredible. It reads like a Star Wars movie literally reads like a Star Wars movie. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> you have to get these texts if you want to get to the next level and you want to learn and you want to be able to regurgitate information that I'm putting out. Um, I'm giving you the sources, right? I'm giving you the sources of the information. A lot of people have heard about Enoch. As a matter of fact, he's revered in the biblical text, but his book, his actual book was left out of the Bible. This is Enoch, the book of Enoch. I actually have a couple of versions of the book of Enoch, just because some add a little bit more of a compendium to the, to the information. Right? So, and I have a third one somewhere up here. I got, I don't know, hundreds of books in this house, maybe a thousand plus. Some in the closet in cases that I haven't even put packed up yet, unpacked yet. But the book of Enoch is very interesting because in the book of Enoch, he's talking about beings that came down from the heavens. And these beings were flesh and blood people. And not only were they flesh and blood people, but they interact with humans and they taught us how to make weapons of war to attack one another. Not only did they teach us how to make weapons of war, they went to war with us. They went to battle. They had to put on protection. Now, what type of angel do you know that has to put on protection that gets getting cut? So these were people, flesh and blood people like me and you, just a little bit more advanced technologically from another place. But still our cousins in a way because we look like them and they look us. They were distinguishable by the shapes of their heads. Uh, that's what really distinguished them according to some of these texts. The book of Enoch was admitted and not put 
to the canonized Bible because he's talking about aliens interacting with people. Period point blank. There's no way to get around it. As a matter of fact, Enoch had an appointed time with these beings where he would be taken into space. He, uh, it was an appointed time. He wasn't abducted. He wasn't stolen away. He wasn't such a good uh, person and uh, worshiper that he was whisked away. It was an appointed time, and he even gave his records of his business and everything to his sons to hold. When the day came, he was taken into uh, into the vehicle and taken up into space. He even describes the earth shape, shape and color when he's taken up into space. Uh, and then he's brought back at a later time. So he wasn't taken away permanently and forever. He did come back. All right. So pretty interesting stuff. So what we see here... Uh, and the reason why I'm, you know, talking this stuff is because we have to understand that there are two different things operating uh, in terms of belief systems on the planet. One belief system is based off of religion, and people tend to get religion confused with spirituality. That's why I'm doing an entire workshop in December, December 11th. It's free. It doesn't cost you any money. You can register on Eventbrite. As a matter of fact, I'll get the link and drop it in this chat. It's a free workshop I'm doing. It's called Religion versus Spirituality. And the purpose is not to bash religion, but it's to awaken you to the understanding that a lot of the stuff that you're reading in a lot of the what I call modern religious texts is actually copied information and it's actually just plagiarized information in a way that's set up to control the masses. Through spirituality, you need to directly connect with the creator without having a group of middlemen or middle people. You don't have to go to the temple in a physical building because the temples are right here. This is your temple. Your body is the temple. Uh, and so the true... Um, true wisdom of ascension and ascension knowledge is learning how to quantum entangle with the universal consciousness some call it god whatever nature whatever you want to call it that is the true ultimate goal uh, uh you know or that you should be your true ultimate goal for ascension the other systems that have been put in place direct you through man and through man everything is corrupted like Tupac said everything is corrupted once a man touch it a lot of the text has been altered. A lot of the text has been um, purposely, purposefully left out. The entire Apocrypha uh, has been left out, which I have the Apocrypha, I think it's upstairs. Those are books of the Bible that should be in there, but were left out by the Council of Nicaea because they were deemed too um, hot, okay, too steamy, too crazy. Uh, they talked, a lot of them talk about uh, human beings being... Uh, extremely wise in the very beginning. Uh, for example, you have the, um, the the myth of Adapa, which talks about the fact that Ea Enki says that tells Adapa, who's Adam, tells him that um, he is was created even wiser than the Anunnaki. That there's a hidden code inside of us, and in that hidden code, once we tap into it. We become wiser, we become better, we can even advance past and beyond where these beings. And for that, Enlil, his brother, was completely enraged when he found out what was what was going on, what what Eki had done. He was completely enraged. And it really pissed him off. You know, so um, you have to understand that this a lot of these texts are a lot of the information that made it into this book right here 
come from <laughs> ancient text. Okay. Even in, some people say, well, well, what about the New Testament? Well, even in the New Testament, there are places in my book, Compendium of the Emperor's Tablet, where I distinctly go through and make the comparisons between the Old Testament and also, you know, the New Testament. And, and, and it really breaks it down in a way where you can see everywhere where Jesus is actually speaking, his words actually come from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which are 36,000 years old. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, why would there be that similarity in information and context? Why would his teachings be extremely similar to the teachings of both the Atlantean priest king who ruled over the land of Kem for 14,000 years, around 56,000 BC? Why would that be? Okay. Well, the reason why that would be is simply because if you have the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, which is also missing from the Bible, if you have the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, you discover that when Jesus was 12 years old, he disappears from the Bible and he, he uh, he's in this text. And where he goes is he goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt for what? To study Egyptian mysteries. Who invented the first Egyptian mystery school? Who, or it really was called the Kemetic Mysteries. Who developed that? It was developed by both the Atlantean priest king. So where did Jesus go? Really, his name is not Jesus. His name is Yeshua. Jesus is actually not a real name. But where did Yeshua go? Yeshua went to the land of Kem to learn. He became an adept initiate to learn the Egyptian mysteries or the Kemetic mysteries. And in there, he learned all of the teachings that are in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and beyond. So when he's speaking in the New Testament, the reason why a lot of his, what he's saying is matching the Emerald Tablets is because that's where it came from. Just like if I go to uh, I go to school, right? I went to I took a course at MIT in applied neuroscience, and in that course they talk about how um, you know the human body emits this uh, magnetic field from the heart, and this magnetic field wraps around the body like a torus. This is what they teach at MIT. This is not just a spiritual post a meme on social media. And if somebody is nervous, frustrated, scared, uh, anxiety, and their cortisol is level raised, their cortisol actually comes out of through their skin and, and wraps around through that magnetic field that's wrapping around their body. And anybody who interacts with that magnetic field can pick up those, uh, those heightened cortisol levels, and it can raise their cortisol levels and their stress levels. So just like I told you that, how did I say that exact thing? How did I copy? How did I, where did I come up with that? Well, I learned that when I went to class at MIT, right? Just like when Yeshua went to class, the mystery schools. That's why what he's saying here is extremely similar to what's being said in, in the Emerald Tablets. What he's saying in the Bible is extremely similar to what's being said in the Emerald Tablets. You know, so I cover that. There's quite a few verses in here that I go side by side that you can read in my book where I show you the biblical verse. And then I show you where Jesus is speaking, or Yeshua. Then I show you the Emerald Tablets verse. And you go, oh, this is saying the same thing. But again, which came first, the chicken or the egg? One text is tens of thousands of years older than the other. And so what he's doing is he's, um, you know, the people who wrote the Bible were the Phoenicians. Who were the Phoenicians? The Phoenicians were followers of who? Phoenicians. This guy. The people that wrote the text on the parchment papers and the cylinder scrolls and all that stuff that 
make up the Bible because the Bible wasn't written like from, I mean, just write a Bible from page one to page whatever. People were copying tablets and turning them into um, writing them on paper and, 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 and um, different types of parchments and storing them in vases and studying them in caves and so forth, right? And so basically, people over the years had uncovered some of these things in these different caves and locations around the Middle East and began to put them together and create this, what we call a Bible. The Bible wasn't written by somebody standing there side right next to somebody who was supposedly speaking and writing on everything that was going on. In other words, the Bible was not written in real time. In fact, the disciples, they were actually illiterate men. They couldn't even read or write. Okay? They couldn't even read or write. So that answers a lot of questions right there. The Bible was written thousands of years after these people died. In fact, it wasn't starting to be put together until 100 A.D. to 900 A.D. That's the time frame that the biblical text was extracted, discovered from caves and so forth, and cultivated into what we call the canonized Bible. Okay, This is hand-picked, curated information, just like... No, um, I'm a music artist, right? So I, sub I submit my music to a lot of um, uh, streaming services. One streaming service in particular is Pandora. Now, Pandora is not like Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer or Tidal. Pandora actually curates all the music that they accept into their platform. So if you submit to Pandora, for your, submit your music to Pandora, it may or may not get accepted. They handpick what they want. They actually have a physical, a human being that actually listens to your music <laughs> and actually and actually puts it in there. Okay, um, you know. So this is incredible. So this is the same system that the Bible is written in. Okay. Now, uh, what's interesting is this Bible has good information in it. There's good information in that book. There's actually great information in the book. You have to know how to discern what's good and what's actually not good. There's things in there that make you think it's okay to commit specific types of crimes against other people because it's being ordered by God when you, in reality it's not God. See, until you get some of these texts that I've got here in these books and, and learn how to read a cuneiform and learn how to have my Aramaic book is upstairs convert some of this text backwards into Aramaic and start reading that are actually not being um, suited for mankind to follow. So just like in anything, um, you have to have discernment, right? I can take this book and I can handpick verses. I can curate information out of this book. I can handpick verses and if you listen to them, if you read them, if you study them, and if you actually act on them, can actually get a good result okay that's why I read everything that's why I study I'm a student of everything <clears throat> now there's information in here that's not so good like in the book of Deuteronomy it okays things like rape things like abduction right false imprisonment <clears throat> why because God is commanding people to actually do these things to other people it's not actually the creator of the universe that's speaking in the book of Deuteronomy. 
When you translate the book of Deuteronomy uh, into its original text, you find out that it's gods with an S, plural, and those gods end up not being gods at all. They end up being flesh and blood people. That's why you have to learn Sumerian. They come out of Sumeria, and they're called the Anunnaki, or in the Bible, they're called the Anak. In our eyes, we were grasshoppers in their sight. That's what it says in the Bible. These people were huge people as well. <clears throat> but they were very intelligent and technologically advanced people. They took, they ruled over humans in certain regions of the planet, and they had humans fighting each other. Because, uh, just like we do today, they would send a, a person, you, you'll go to college, and you'll say, you, I mean, you go to school, high school, and you'd be like, I want to go to college, but I can't afford college. And so what will you do? You say, well, if I join the military, as I just saw a TV commercial, they're going to give me money. They're going to give me money to, to, to pay for college, or they're going to pay for my college. So you join up with them, and then somebody in a $10,000 suit sends you halfway around the world with a $5 million weapon to blow up a guy on a camel with a $5 tent. And in your mind, you reconcile that as, I'm not a bad person, I'm just following orders, right? And in return, I'm going to get this college education. So if you take this back into the ancient times in the book of Deuteronomy, for example, where you see all these wars happening, where you have quote-unquote God talking and telling people to go to this city and kill the women, kill the children. It even says rape the women. That's the exact terminology. It's right here in the Bible. Look it up. Rape the women. You can actually take the virgins if you want. That's abduction, right? Uh, you, can, you know, false imprisonment. You can take the, you can take the, uh, the virgins uh, and all that kind of good stuff. You can take the spoils, but bring the spoils back to me. This is a war going on against people had masqueraded as gods and used human beings as chattel to fight their battles, just like they do today. A guy in a $10,000 suit sends a kid halfway around the world to kill somebody so we can steal oil. Same thing happens right now. Uh, same thing was happening back then. They send you halfway around the world to go infiltrate a, infiltrate a city and kill all the people and bring the spoils of war. Where now that god, lowercase g, owns that property, owns that castle or that land and now has control and rulership over it and just gaining more control. There were these battles of the gods back in the day. These battles are in the Mahabharata, which I just showed you. The battles are in the Bhagavad Gita, which I just showed you. The battles are in the biblical text, in the book of Deuteronomy. The battles persist all throughout all the texts that I have. The book of Enoch, it teach you how to make weapons so we can go to war. I mean, that can just keep going on and on and on. And so what's interesting is this creates this warring mentality in mankind. This is one of the biggest problems that I have with believing in religion, not following the spiritual path. In religion, you become a zealot. A zealot is extremely dangerous, okay? A zealot is extremely, extremely dangerous. Why? Because a zealot will do anything for the entity that they are worshiping or the subject or topic that they're worshiping. They will do anything they believe is needed, including injure, hurt, or kill somebody. What you find when you look at the when you look at ancient history and you look at the wars on this planet, you discover that the majority of the wars that happen on this planet were for religious reasons. In other words, more people have died due to religion than any other reason on the face of the earth. Again, like I talked about last week, the papal inquisitions. In order to bring Catholicism around the world, the popes for 700 years killed 
over 50 million people on this planet, killed and tortured. And if you don't believe this, just go to the museums. They actually have the museums. They're so proud of what they did. They have museums that show these death tools. Okay? They have the Pope's spear. You know what that was? If you're a woman and you didn't want to worship their Lord and Savior the way that they wanted you to, if you didn't believe in that or you were an indigenous person, right, because they conquered these different cultures, what they would do is they'd take you, the chiefess of the town, of the, of the tribe, and string her up and put this Pope's spear inside of your private part. Pope's spear would then expand like this and pop on the inside and blow up the woman's private part. Uh, and then, of course, she would just bleed to death. What a horrible way to die. Then they had this other thing which looked like a pyramid with a spire on top. Very sharp, needle-looking spire on top, right? And that spire, uh, what they would do is they would actually take a man. Let's say they came to your town, right, your tribe, and they, you, you guys weren't falling, falling in line. Let me take the chief, and I'm going to tie him up to this tree, and I'm going to raise him up. I'm going to drop him through the anus onto the spire, onto this very sharp stick coming out of this pyramid-looking thing. They have this inside the museum, and they would raise you and drop you, raise you and drop you, raise you and drop you, while your entire tribe or your entire town watched this. And what was the purpose of that? The purpose was to force you into saying, okay, we're going to fall in line, and, and we're going to worship this thing. Because if we don't, we're going to end up doing, we're going to end up tortured like this. And by that method, over the course of 700 years, they tortured and killed over 50 million people. This is actual history. That made Hitler look like an angel. I mean, think about the, think about the comparison here. I mean, he killed 6 million, these people killed 50 million. So when you hear people saying that the good news was spread around the world, Christianity was spread around the world by... Uh, by a love and everything else? No. Every country, every indigenous continent was invaded. Women and the men were murdered, killed, and raped, and beaten into submission in order to take on this religious belief system. That's how it happened. If you look at the Arabs, the Arabs, right? You look at um, their, their Muslim belief. That was also uh, put out there, and how they got dominant was it was to go and murder and kill. If you go to Egypt, whoever goes to Egypt with me this uh, October, right, this year, October this year, I think we're almost sold out. going to hurry up if you want to get a seat. Only taking really 40 people. If, when, uh, when we go to Egypt, we go to Coptic Cairo. Coptic Cairo is one of the oldest areas of Christianity. Christianity that existed before the birth of Jesus. And in Coptic Cairo, the house where Jesus actually lived is still there. Yeshua, I actually was in that house now twice. I've been there. It's a shrine. He actually lived there while he attended the Egyptian mystery schools. <clears throat> and so uh, you find there the history of the, the slaughter of the Arabs. You see, the people in Egypt, they never spoke Arabic. Never spoke Arabic. That's not their language. Just like Mexicans don't speak Spanish, those people ain't Spanish. They're not, not Latinos. Those people are Mayans and, and Aztecs and, and so forth. And so uh, what happened was the Arabs came there and they slaughtered and murdered so many people and forced them into speaking Arabic, which they still speak to this very day. They banished them from learning their own Egyptian hieroglyphs. So after generation after generation, like by the second generation, they didn't even know how to read hieroglyphs anymore. They just started teaching hieroglyphs 
four years ago in Egypt again in school. And just uh, they had to rely on Germany and Japan and and other archaeologists from other countries to learn how to teach them how to learn and read their own hieroglyphs. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. So again, that's another religious cult that had dominated the world at one time uh, and, and still is running, up and running. And when you look at the history of, like I talk, talked about last week, where their belief system comes from, it comes from aliens. It comes from aliens. Right? The alien descends down and talks to this guy and tells him, hey, write this down. This guy can't read or write, so he has to hire another guy to come scribe what he's being told. And they turn that whole thing into a religion. Meanwhile, it suppresses women. It oppresses women. It's got things in it that, that um, if you don't obey it as a woman, you can be stoned to death and killed, just like in the Old Testament. Um, and something that resonates with those two religions is the fact that the female energy, the female frequency has been completely suppressed, which is another big problem. So you have the suppression of the feminine energy. And this is why when you go to Egypt and when you go with me, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It looks like a giant bachelor pad. The whole Middle East looks like a giant bachelor pad. Why? There's no feminine energy in there. No feminine energy. Everything is brown. There's no colors. There's no different alternating colors. There's no flowers and plants. Everything is brown. Everything is dirty. Garbage in the streets. All right. And why is that? Because women have no say-so in anything. It's, it's, a, it's like a giant bachelor pad. And so it's missing the feminine energy. And uh, it's evident. Now, you take that same concept and apply it to anything in life where the feminine energy has been completely wiped out or taken away. Especially in religious contexts where women couldn't even walk into a synagogue. They couldn't walk into a temple. They couldn't walk into a church. That just started happening in modern times. It just started happening... So it really surprises me these days when there's women out here that are, you know, calling God a him and a he, but they don't even understand that that again is that male dominance thing again, the male energy dominance. God is not a man. There is no man that's a God. God is not a man. God is a like everything in this entire universe is a frequency. If you go into quantum physics and quantum mechanics, you discover that everything that, that exists in this entire universe is actually waves of potential. And those waves of potential exist as waves of light. Light that we can't see with the human naked eye because we only see 1% of the light spectrum, right? We only see 1% of the light spectrum. We can't see gamma rays, we can't see x-rays, we can't see ultraviolet, we can't see multispectrum. No, we can't see any, any of that stuff. <clears throat> what we can see is only the colors of the rainbow, and that's it. That's all we get. Pretty much RGB is the maximum that we can really focus on. But we know that other colors exist because we have computers and technology and cameras that can pick up these other frequencies of light and waves of light. And they've discovered that every single atom exists as a wave of light before it collapses into something that we consider to be solid. Right? And what's happened is, in the universe itself as a whole, there's a balance, there's a yin and a yang, right? And in a system that we've now created on Earth with religion, we've only got the yin, no yang. There's no balance there. So in a lot of the religions, the reason why they're so detrimental, and they actually, some of them could be prosperous and actually help people, the reason why, over time, you see that they actually have been very bloody and unsuccessful because of the removal 
complete removal of feminine energy to the point where, they, where even women think that God is a man. And so that concept and that twist in the brain that has been handed down from generation to generation has altered a way that we even perceive the creator of the universe. Right? And we've gotten so cocky with it that we even perceive that the creator of the universe is actually in here with us, hanging out, and wanting us to win basketball games and wanting us to win wars and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. There is no creator of the universe that is hanging out, hanging around, waiting for you to pray if you can win a football game. There is no creator of the universe hanging around waiting for you to pray if you can win this war. And you can, you can kill these people over here and come home safely. Right? What you can do is, if you're a competitor, you can pray that you can perform at your highest level. Right? You think that there's somebody out there with a magic wand waving it saying, oh, this team deserves to win today. Then when they win, oh, yeah, God was good to us. No, no, you just had talent. You, you, you followed the game plan and you actually won the game because you, you worked hard and you practiced and you trained and you made the right decisions in the game and you won. Right? That's how it works out. There's a verse in the Bible where Jesus is standing outside talking to a, a small multitude of people and his disciples are there. And there are some buildings off in the distance that are really old buildings. Uh, the tops of them are really dilapidated, and it's a very windy day. And two or three women were walking by the building when the wind blew. And when the wind blew, those stones from the top of that dilapidated structure fell and crushed them right there where they were walking. And right away, the disciples said, Oh, they died for their sins. They were evil. And Jesus said, in so many words, no, man. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. See? We take things out of context. We take things and we turn them into something that's really not there. And why we do that as people, I'm not quite sure. But there is one small answer that's possible. There was a study done uh, about maybe, I think it was now nine years ago, in a laboratory where biologists were accessing the human genome, and they discovered a gene that we have. It's called the worship gene. The interesting thing about this worship gene, two things actually. One thing is they discovered that it was inserted into the human genome about 200,000 years ago. <clears throat> now, why is that significant? Well, that's significant because, where's this book at? <laughs> According to the ancient Sumerian tablets, Right? According to the Sumerian tablets, uh, about 200,000 years ago is when mankind was genetically modified and forced through the labor of the gods. That's why it's ironic. And the, the, the biologists and the scientists said, it's 200,000 years ago, but we can't figure out how, because in order for this mutation to occur, it would take millions and millions of years of evolution. It looks like this was purposefully done. Well, yeah, it was pur purposefully done. They then turned the gene off. They learned how to turn the gene on and turn the gene off. When they turn the gene off, the person is no longer to want to worship any outside source. Focus on self. They look, when they turn the gene on, the person seeks for exterior uh, gratification, exterior deity, exterior help. This is a gene, in my opinion, that was inserted at the time that telomere chromosome number two was cut out and fused together and the telomere caps were put on. That's in the Tower of Babel incident 
At the same time, I believe that they also inserted the worship gene. And what better slave to have is a slave that doesn't know it's a slave. So when you go to Egypt, you find that the people that worked on these pyramids, because the pyramids were labored on by actual people. Now, the architectural guide and the floor plan came from higher above, came from both the Atlantean priest king, for example, of the Great Pyramid. He was the master architect of that structure. People did the work under his tutelage and his training and using his technology. But what you find when you go there is they had, uh, they worked, they weren't slaves. There were no slaves building any pyramids in Egypt. Not one. That information that talks about people being slaves in Egypt um, inside this book is actually false. You go to Egypt directly, like I've been a few times, you find out that not only were they working uh, out of their own, uh, you know, want, want and need to appease the gods, but they were also getting paid. They even had health care. Yeah, health care. That was years ago. They had health care. And so, and when you go to Egypt with me, we'll, you're going to go to these locations. You're going to see the temples and the buildings and the structures where the workers would check in to go to work. They worked out of only one thing, to please the gods. Uh, they were paid very little. They were taken care of if they became injured. But they didn't realize that they were slaves. When they had the days when you would have to give your, your, you know, your atonement and you would have to go make your sacrifice and bring in your, you know, cut up your, you know, slice the throat of your, of your calf and, and bring in your first harvest, right, all those things. You're going to find out when you come to Egypt with me what that was for. That was for these people to get food and eat. They have the temples there, which we're going to visit the temples. And in these temples, they have these storehouses. Where all these, when all these offerings would come, those offerings, because these people were not going to go out and hunt. They were not going to farm. They weren't going to go grow any crops. No, you bring me the food and the crops, and then I'm going to pretend to be your God, and I'm going to say, yeah, I bless you, and, uh, and you go on about your business. All right? You're going to find this out when you go to Egypt with me. And so they would store all this food in these storehouses that they had, these locked containers that they would have in the back in some of these um, temples. And it was purely for gods to eat. Now, when I say gods, I do mean lowercase g. These are the like Anunnaki people. But just for them to have food. And they weren't going to go kill no cows. They weren't going to grow no cattle and all this kind of stuff. These got pimped. And we're still getting pimped today the same exact way. You got the worship gene. You want to worship something on the outside. Everybody's focusing on the outside, outside, outside. Nobody's focusing on the inside. That's where the big problem arises. When you're looking external for external salvation, I guarantee you, you will never find it. You will think you found it. You will convince yourself that you found external salvation. In true reality, you only tricked yourself. The only way to, to receive a salvation is to go within. And you don't need any exterior source to, um, to, uh, to, to, to forgive you and all this kind of stuff. You can forgive yourself. Matter of fact, until you forgive yourself, you're never going to be forgiven. Until you forgive your, I don't care if you, I don't care if you hurt somebody, you did something to somebody, and then you apologize to them, and they say, "I forgive you." You're still not, you're still not forgiven. But your conscience is still not fully satisfied until you actually look at your shadow face to face and say, "Man, I screwed this up bad." You know what? I apologize to them. I tried to make everything right. And now, 
All I can do is move forward. And you know what? I forgive me. I forgive myself. I have to learn from it. What can I learn from this? How can I become a better person from this experience? What can I glean from this mistake that I made? And once you understand that, and once you accept that, and once you understand how to change from that, you've now rewritten your DNA. You've just been born again. Now, that's it. There's no magic sky daddy out there coming down to hit you with a wand and say, oh, all your sins are forgiven. Like I said last week, the biggest problem with this forgiven sin thing is it gives people a way to escape uh, taking, you know, taking full ownership of their screw-ups. In other words, I can go out here and I can do something to somebody. I can blow somebody away. And then I can just go home and say, oh, you know, please forgive me. And then next thing you know, I'm good to go again. That's how, that's how they think it works. See, that, there's a big problem with that. That that's actually doesn't work. You're fooling yourself. And so people use it as a crutch. Oh, I screwed up today. Oh, forgive, you know, please forgive me. And then, oh, I'm, I got a clean slate. That's what they tell you in church. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Even if you read this book, <laughs> this book doesn't even say it works that way. The Bible doesn't even say it works that way. And so what you have to do is you have to understand that you need to understand what you did need to face what you did, try to make atonement for what you did, and then after you've done all of that, forgive yourself and move on. That's forgiveness. Being born again is when you rise to a higher level of consciousness. And you can look back on your previous level that you were at and go, wow, and I came up here. I'm up here now. I moved up a notch. You were born again in a higher level of consciousness. Getting splashed in water and dumped in the ocean and all that stuff, waste of time means nothing. Waste of time. Taking a brand new baby and splashing water all over them, waste of time. Means nothing. Means absolutely nothing. Does nothing. Just gets you wet and then you need a towel. Being born again has to do with growing consciously. Every time you move up another notch, you're born again. And you'll be born again many times in the same lifetime. These are the secrets that the Anunnaki and didn't want us to understand and know. They wanted us to go through them for everything so that we can continue to worship them and do the work for them. That's what it was all about. It's all about labor and slavery. And if you don't believe me, then you got to read the Dr. Hasid's epic. This is where the information is. It's right in here, guys. It's right in here. Hardly made it into the Bible, but they accidentally on purpose left out the part where the EGG were getting ready to go to war against Enlil and Enki. When the gods fell from heaven to earth, right? In the Bible, it's the angels. They rebelled against God. These EGG people who are Anunnaki, they rebelled against Anu, who was known as the god of his, of his pantheon. He had a, the original pantheon. And he, um, they fell from heaven to earth. They came from Mars to earth. They came from Lamu to Ki. All right. Lamu is Mars. Ki is earth. Why'd they come here? They were on Mars doing a lot of labor. They were mining Mars for resources. They came here to go to battle against Enki and Enlil. Why did they rebel against Anu and his, and his sons? Because according to the text, were being forced to do labor as if they were slaves and they weren't supposed to be slaves. They were volunteers. And they labored for a couple hundred thousand years. 
think it was 250,000 years they labored without the use of any human uh, assistance whatsoever. And then they got to the point where they said, you know what, our needs aren't being met, our demands aren't being met, we're going to go to war. They came and they encircled the campus of Enkin and Lil in a place in Africa called Adam's Calendar. Adam's Calendar still exists today. Matter of fact, I was supposed to go there in 2020, but you know what happened there. I'll probably get there in 2023. I won't get there this summer. Uh, with Michael, Michael Tellinger has a museum right next to Adam's Calendar, and he's going to give me the tour of Adam's Calendar. Adam's Calendar is important because the oldest known gold mine discovered on Earth in Africa, and the organic material at the mine shows that it dates back to 200,000 years, exactly at the time I said about the worship gene, and exactly at the time that these people decided to go to war at Adam's Calendar against Anki and Lil and Anu. Interesting. They all merged together. All right? And then they took women. So they came to the agreement first that they would genetically modify the existing hominid on the planet, adding their essence to it, which means, you know, some type of modification in some way, and make it do the labor. Once that was agreed upon, they were all under a new, made it with the daughters of men, and they gave birth to the Nephilim. Okay. All this is in the text, guys. This is all in the text. The Enuma Elishan, the seven types of creation. The Atra Hasid This is all in there. All this stuff is in there. The Sumerian tablets in the British Museum, the one where Isis gives birth to the Adamu. There were already a lot of people on the planet. Don't believe this thing about Adam and Eve were the first two people, and from Adam and Eve, you've got this, you've got eight billion people on the planet. That's garbage. In the Bible itself, if you take your time and you actually read the Bible right, you discover that humans were created twice in the beginning. There's two humans that are created in the beginning. When you read the Sumerian tablets, you discover the same thing. In the beginning, it elaborates a little bit more. They created people to do the work. They took some of the people that they genetically modified and cloned them, and those people weren't able to mate. And because they weren't able to successfully mate, they weren't able to duplicate, and cloning was a very tedious process. They didn't have the manpower for that. So they started getting frustrated, <clears throat> but they did have a lot of people on the planet. So what they did was they then did another experiment. They just said, you know what? I'm going to take the woman and I'm going to take her egg. I'm going to add our essence to it. That means some type of a genetic modification or adding maybe the sperm. Maybe it's uh, in, you know, uh, artificial fertilization. She inserts it into her womb. This is in Sumerian tablets. She then takes the, the term 10 months, not 9 months, but 10 months. It's very specific. In 10 months, she gives birth to the first Adamu, A-D-A-M-U, which means first man. The picture of her etched into a stone holding up the Adamu, saying, my hands have created him. Uh, and that's at the British Museum. This predates all the physical texts by thousands of years. She put him in the Eden, E-D-I-N. And that was in Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day Iraq. It was an outdoor uh, type of a enclosed uh, laboratory where they began to experiment with the Adamu, raising him up, and then trying to get him to mate with, when he was a mating age with other uh, people. He was, it wasn't successful, so they actually 
took some blood from him, some samples from him, this is where we get the rib story. His tablets are very clear that they took blood from him, they took a sample from him and created a clone, which was Eve, and then when they made it, when he made it with Eve, they were able to um, have a baby. This is all clear in the text, and it predates the biblical text by thousands of years. Now, more credence to the fact that there were people here, and Cain killed Abel, and was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, um, which, by the way, Adam was also kicked out, and you can read the, the book of Adam, right, that's kept out of the Bible. It's pretty heartbreaking, that story. It's actually, it makes you, it'll choke you up. It's pretty heartbreaking. When you, when you analyze Cain, and he says to Enlil, who's known as Yahweh in the Bible, he says, um, people out there will kill me. Well, what people? There was already people out there. He said, matter of fact, he said, I'm going to put a mark on you. They'll know you, my boy. And when you go out there, you're going to meet your wife. What wife? This is what began the whole plan of the Canaanites. And most of the Canaanites ended up in Mesoamerica. They ended up halfway around the world. Right, there's a whole other video i got to make about that, how they got there. But regardless, so you have the snake that came, comes into the garden. The snake is knowledge in, in, in Egypt and Kim. It's knowledge and wisdom. What was the apple? The apple was knowledge. Knowledge of self. Uh, so E.I. Enki, who actually loved humans, came in and was talking to them in the tablets about who they really were, how powerful they really were. A lot of that makes it into the myth of Adapa. So if you read the myth of Adapa, which I have on one of these, I couldn't tell them I have so many books in here, but I have the myth of Adapa. That text, which was kept out of the Bible, is, um, it talks about the fact that Yaenki was talking to them about how powerful they are, how knowledgeable they are, how, how incredible they can become. The true potential of mankind is far exceeding them, you know, him himself and the, and the Anunnaki. Um, and that was the knowledge that he gave them. That's why they put on clothes. They were like, man, we gods, man. They're running around like animals naked. And that's when Enlil came back and got pissed off in the Bible known as Yahweh. You know, you call him God. And he's like, oh man, my brother did this. I'm going to call him the devil. And I'm going to tell everybody, don't work, don't talk to him because he's evil. And Enlil was actually the evil one. As a matter of fact, when you read the tablets, you find out that this guy, Enlil, was killing people like you wouldn't believe. He was killing humans like he was like, if he would wake up and there was too much noise outside, he would order the guards to just go kill them off. Kill off people. If they were getting too many people in the population, once they figured out the code on how to grow, how to make people mate, he would just uh, dry out their fields. He would spray pestilence on them. Original chemtrails. Where do you think they get the idea from for the chemtrails? They got it from the tablets. And kill off people by the thousands. The kind of guy he was. He was, he was extremely evil, but he claimed that his brother was evil, but his brother was the evil one. He was actually him. He was the one that was evil. That's why I think that the Nag Hammadi got it right. The Nag Hammadi. These are the Nag Hammadi scriptures. You read the Gnostic text in here, and you, you realize they got it right in a lot of ways. Not always, but in a lot of ways. Because what they realized was that this book right here is orchestrated by people. Actually, the person that wrote the KJV, King James Version, he's a Satanist. But King James is actually a Satanist. Actually, his book, the Satanist book, did better than this book. <laughs> so, what what what, the, what these people realized even way before that guy was even born was that this book is orchestrated in a way. The information is orchestrated in a way 
that you're actually following the same evil that you're running from. And the true path to enlightenment and ascension is through spirituality. Okay, which I'm going to do that whole workshop on spirituality and religion. I'm going to go deeper into a lot of information. And we're going to compare spiritual practices with religious practices. That's going to be in December. You can sign up for that workshop. I'll drop the link in here again. All right. Let me drop the link in this chat again for you. Sign up for free. Didn't cost you any money. And um, I'm going to go really deep into the two so you can see that the true path to enlightenment is through spirituality and metaphysics. And the, the path that was going to lead you to destruction actually in this book. Like I said last week, if the devil is a, a super genius, right? Satan the devil is this IQ of 2,000. He's not even an angel, he's a cherubim. He can create things. He has everything that God, he can do everything that God can do uh, just about. Right? He was the right hand and everything, all this good stuff, and he can, he can whisper in the ears of millions of people. He's got all this power. I said to that guy who was trying to convert me, I said, he said to me, I told him, I, I asked him, I said, you think that, that this Satan the devil is going to follow every word in this book that was written all, and, and edited by a human being by to his own destruction? And he said, yeah. I said, no, no, no. Don't you think it's more likely that that same entity orchestrated this book in a way that would lead you to your destruction? That's what the Nakamadi believe. That's what the, the, the Gnostics believe. I'm sorry, the, the Gnostics. And I think they're right. I think that it's been flipped. I think that people are, that have been chasing after the devil this whole entire time because references of the Elohim and the uh, and Yahweh and so forth in the Bible are actually these Anunnaki people, not the creator of the universe. Not even close. These are flesh and blood people. Now, is there a creator of the universe? I actually believe that there is. I believe that there's a creator of the universe. Why? Quantum physics proves it. We're living in a creation. There's no way to get around it. We're living in a creation. I believe that wholeheartedly. What I'm trying to tell you is a lot of us on this planet have been chasing after the wrong source of creation. Has actually been chasing after slave masters. And they have successfully enslaved mankind for a very, very long time. You got to read this book, Gods of Eden by William Bramley. Gods of Eden by William Bramley. It's based on Sumerian tablets. That's why I like this book. It's not based on opinion. It's not based on conjecture. It's based on tablets. And we find that the mental and financial enslavement go all the way back thousands of years. In this book, he, he, he actually reveals the origin of inflation. The origin of inflation is even in here you find that they set up this political structure for us with this bicameral Congress, which is still operating today. And they themselves had a whole different system that they went on, that they, that they uh, ruled under. This number system that they had. They had a, a system of numbers. And you ruled by your order of your hierarchy and the totem pole was based on your number. But they gave us this polytrick system. I call it polytricks, right? That's what they gave us, the polytrick system to keep us embroiled in foolishness. And then what they did was they installed a monetary system that was set up from the beginning to, 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 um, to give us inflation so that we can stay financially enslaved. So we have to keep continuing to work hard, work hard, work hard until we die. 
And so how it was set up initially, you'll find out if you read this book, The Gods of Eden by William Bramley. Uh, let's say you had a farm and you had goats, right? And I had an apple orchard. And now I want some goats because I want to have, I don't know, I have some meat for my family. And you want apples because you want apples so your, your wife can make apple pie or whatever. I bring you a satchel of apples.